This is the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast on the WVSA Digital Network. From the Sport Pens International Studios in Charleston, West Virginia, here's your host, Marcus Cole. Welcome to the podcast. We have another great show for you. Before we welcome our guest, I want to remind you to like, subscribe, and share our program here on the WVSA Digital Network because this helps us get the word out to others and let them know that we're providing valuable information designed for soccer players, coaches, referees, and parents. With us today is Dr. Ashley Coker-Cranny, psychotherapist at Whole Brain Solutions. Doctor, welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be back. Now, this time around, uh, the month that we're in right now, May, is National Mental Health Awareness Month, and we wanted to have the doctor back on to uh, talk about mental health with our youth soccer players. So why don't we go ahead and dive right in. Um, Doctor, why is mental health awareness so important when it comes to our youth soccer players? You know, I think that one of the things, and I think this is an interesting question of why is it important, our athletes can't be machines. They don't get to operate just as athletes and not be human beings. And so the same problems that our non-athletes face from adjustment issues and stress-related issues and, and um, I guess, more clinical kind of mental health issues, our athletes are still dealing with that. Because they're human, we still see it at the same rate in, in our um, youth soccer players. And so being aware of what kinds of issues they might be facing and then helping them to learn how to manage those and relate with those issues in ways that are healthy and adaptive for them are just good for overall health. And I think it's important, too, that we realize that with our youth soccer players, they don't have the benefit of experience like maybe somebody you and me, you know, our age. They don't have that experience yet. Absolutely. Um. I think that there may be a big misconception out there among coaches and parents. I hear it sometimes that we have to walk on eggshells around this generation of kids. Um, you know, back in our day, we were just told to, you know, toughen up, get over it. And, and I think coaches and parents may be at times fearful of hurting the feelings of the kids or uh, affecting their mental health in any way. Can you talk to us about this misconception? Yes, and I'm so glad that you brought it up because it is something that I hear all the time. Sometimes it's when I'm working with coaches and sometimes it's when I'm working with parents. Sometimes it's when I'm working with kids that, that don't know kind of how to navigate that. And they do feel constantly like they're walking on eggshells, even just around their teammates and their friends. Um, and we do hear kind of that rhetoric very often that like, oh, people just aren't as tough as they used to be. When the truth is, if we really look at kind of mental health, um, specifically in our country, over time, what we know is that our awareness of what it is that's happening is much greater now. And we have much better resources to kind of move through and, and handle the things that we're dealing with. But these problems have always been there. And then we actually have much better outcomes when we acknowledge them rather than saying, oh, duck off, put it away in a box, pretend like it isn't there. Um, but in doing that, that means that sometimes there are explosions. And if we don't know how to deal with a sudden crying spell or um, some isolation in a room or things like that that feel very uncomfortable, then it's like, oh, well, they're just, you know, they're just soft. They just don't know how to handle this. 
it's not really that they're soft. It's not really that um, they're dealing with anything that we haven't been dealing with ever since we became a country. It's just now the expression is different because we've opened up a conversation to say, it's okay to notice your feelings. It's okay to experience what it is that you're experiencing. But we haven't always followed that up with, let me help you build the skills that you're going to need to work through what it is that you're experiencing right now. Feeling your feelings is one of the best things that we can do, especially when it comes to moving through stress-related and trauma-related issues. When we experience emotion, it's not something that we have control over, which I think is an important myth to dispel. Feelings have kind of a, a start and they have a middle and they have an end. And when we try and stunt that somewhere, all of a sudden we get this automatic reaction where our eyes get a little bit teary and then all of a sudden we go, oh, but I'm not supposed to cry and so I'm going to stuff that down. Our body is still designed to finish that cycle. And when we don't allow it to, and we stuff it down over and over and over again, it ends up exploding at some point because we're no longer able to contain it. So if we really want to help our athletes, we need to help them to say, it's okay to feel your feelings. It's okay to move through them, to notice that you can have an initial emotional reaction. You can weather that emotional reaction. You can experience it to its fullest, and eventually it will end. Too often we experience stress because since we've stunted that, it's like, well, this feeling goes on forever. Well, of course it does, because you didn't let it finish what it needed to finish. And I think that if we can kind of shift that narrative to say, well, it's not that they're weak or that, um, that they're feeling their feelings too much and we don't get it. The narrative really needs to be, okay, how do I teach them to move through this experience so that it doesn't linger? Because quite honestly, you know, some people say things like, oh, it's, it's just nice to have a good cry every once in a while. And then other people will say, well, I can't do that because it'll never stop. Well, that's not true. It absolutely will stop when we learn to stop kind of feeding that cry with all the negative thoughts and things that started it. And we just let the body finish what it needs to finish. It might just be a couple of minutes of really ugly crying. It's not everywhere and everything else. And then it's done. And then we don't have to, we don't have to continue to kind of grapple with it and figure it out and and kind of worry about it. So I think that, you know, an answer to your question in how is it that we kind of manage this, this misconception about whether or not we're hurting feelings, we just need to help athletes to recognize how to move through those and also to take responsibility for, I can't hurt your feelings. Your feelings get hurt because of something that you experience. And so when we shift how it is that we're kind of holding responsibility or replacing blame or we're doing those kinds of things and we're just allowing ourselves to move through this natural cycle of emoting, then we can handle it much better and we don't have to worry about the explosion because it doesn't need to come. We don't have a backlog of emotions that we haven't experienced and that our body is still trying to work through. I'll be honest with you. Um, back when I first had kids and starting to deal with uh, things that they were going through, it was difficult for me to deal with those things because I grew up in an environment where it was, you know, oh, you're injured, I just rub some dirt on it or, you know, toughen up, <laughs> um, you know, just get over it, that type of thing. So it was hard for me to understand. And I think the important thing that you bring up and, and is such key to this issue is we have to teach the the things to help cope with some of these issues. And if we don't teach 
the mechanisms to to deal with it, then that's where we kind of get into a lot of problems with with people. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Absolutely 100%. We have to we have to set our kids environments up so that they can use the skills that we're asking them to use. If I have a youth soccer player who's really, really frustrated because they've tried to save move 42 times in a drill and it's still not working, and then I expect them to stand in the back of a line with all their teammates in front of them while their lip is quivering and try not to be embarrassed, and I haven't given them an opportunity to say, you know what, do you want to go run a lap? Do you want to go sit down on the bench for a second? Do you want to just like take a minute to move through this? And, and in an environment where their teammates are okay with that too, because when they need that, then they want to be able to go to that. Um, if we haven't set that up, then we can't expect our athletes to be able to handle those big emotions when they come. It's not as simple as saying, okay, label the big emotion, now you're good. It's really saying, okay, feel the big emotion and let it pass. It's, when I talk to youth athletes, I often talk about it like kind of this wave that comes, right? If I'm standing on the side of a beach, there's going to be a wave that comes in and it may be really powerful and it may feel like if I don't have good footing, it's going to pull me out to sea and it feels really scary, but eventually that wave will crash and then it will recede and it will be replaced by a different one. And so what we really want to try and do in helping our athletes to figure out how to cope is to say, okay, how do we recognize that this is a temporary transient internal experience that you're having? It will not last forever as long as we just move through it and as uncomfortable as it is, we allow it to be there and we allow ourselves to feel it and to, towards the end of that really ugly cry, go, wow, okay, so how many tears do I think that I just shed right there and how warm is my face feeling right now and how many tissues did I just go through and, you know, whatever else it is, you know, being able to kind of experience that emotion and then observe what that experience was like and then say, okay, that was it. Now what's the next wave that's coming? You bring up such a, a great word there, uncomfortable. Uh, I think as a society, to an extent, we uh, most humans, I guess, maybe are wired to not be comfortable around being uncomfortable and not liking it. But um, once you get to the point of of bringing up the difficult subjects, being able to bring up the difficult emotions, bringing up the difficult feelings and being able to deal with them, um, I think is such a game changer for an athlete or just a, a, a person in general. I really do. It is. Oh, it is. And quite honestly, and I'm going to stay out my soapbox here because this is a trigger for me to get on a soapbox. <laughs> if we look at the general human experience, there was this beautiful study that was done years ago that really tried to map out, like, what are the emotions that all humans experience? They wanted to look across cultures. They just wanted to understand, like, human nature, human experience, what are the emotions that are in that? And what they identified is they identified 14 human emotions that across all cultures we experience. And what I often do with my athletes is I will pull out this really cool, it's, it's like a map of the human body that maps how it is that each of those emotions show up in our body. So, like, for shame, it's very, very typical when we experience shame to experience a lot of like warmth behind the eyes and a lot of coolness or numbness in the rest of our body. And that's, that's an indicator. Oh, I'm feeling shame. Anyway, I will pull out this, this sheet and I will show them all of these emotions and I'll say, okay, go through these 14 emotions. And as you look at these 14 emotions, I want you to tell me how many of those are really pleasant. And the typical answer that I get is two, 
maybe three, sometimes four if they really like surprise and that's a positive, pleasant emotion for them. So then I go, okay, so if the human experience is that we're supposed to experience these 14 things and only two or three or four of them are positive, if we were to experience every emotion kind of in the same proportion of time throughout our lives, we'd spend a whole lot of time in emotions that don't feel real good. That's just human nature. And yet we live in a society that says, oh, you have to be happy all the time. You have to feel good all the time. You have to be comfortable all the time. So we send a message in our society that is completely counter to what the actual lived human experience is like. And for the athletes that I work with, when we look at it that way, they go, oh, well, why am I holding on to this idea that I have to be happy all the time? Sure, it feels good. I would prefer to experience those pleasant feelings. But it's okay when the other stuff comes up. And if I get really good at it, I can start recognizing kind of, I call it the space for and. Yes, I feel shame, and I feel anxiety, and I feel hope, or and I feel surprise, or and I feel contentment, or whatever it is. We start to learn to, to just embrace that human experience that says all of these emotions are supposed to be here, and they're kind of, they're almost indicator lights to say, okay, what is it that I need to look at? If I'm experiencing shame in this moment, because I haven't been able to do the thing that I really, really wanted to do in that drill. And everybody's been watching me and I'm feeling really crummy about it and all, all of that kind of stuff. What is that really telling me? Well, it's really telling me that it's important to me to master what it is that's in front of me, or it's really important to me that people see me in a certain way or whatever it is. And once we know what that emotion is pointing to, then we can start working through relating to those beliefs, ideas, um, desires in a different way that doesn't leave us feeling like we're about ready to drop off a cliff if we allow ourselves to feel the feeling. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, bringing up uh, 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 providing the tools uh, that we need to deal with some of this stuff, what tips do you have for soccer coaches on how to better deal with their youth soccer players when it comes to their mental health? Yeah, I think, I think a couple of things are really important. Um, and we've talked about relationships between coaches and athletes in, in previous conversations that we've had. That relationship is going to be the basis upon which coaches can do any number of things to help their athletes with mental health issues. So if that relationship isn't there, it's really hard for them to be as effective as they could be. So the first tip that I have for coaches is pay attention to that relationship. You are not in your athlete's life to treat them as a machine and to act as a machine yourself. You are human beings and you relate to each other on a daily basis. So relate to each other. Set up this, this um, relationship that says, if something is going on, I am a place that you can come to and I won't judge you for that. And even better, see if you can, you can establish that relationship with every member of your team so that you can create a culture that says, if something is wrong, you can reach out and we can talk. And part of that too is some people don't want to reach out even if the relationship is there. So as a coach, being very attuned to the experience of your athletes is incredibly important. If you notice that they're acting differently than you've ever known them to act, open up a conversation about that. Give them the opportunity to notice that you noticed something was wrong and that they have 
um, a space now where they can talk about it. And if you have one of those athletes, like many of the athletes that I work with, that they go, oh, I'm fine. I go, okay, I'm glad you're fine. What else is there? Oh, well, it's just every, everything's okay. I'm just a little bit stressed. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. You're feeling like you're fine kind of globally, like everything's all right, and you recognize there's a little bit of stress. What else is there? Well, I'm stressed because my dog is sick, and she is everything to me, and I don't know what to do because I'm worried that, um, you know, I'm going to show up at home one day, and she's just not going to be there. Wow, that's really scary. I can see how it is that that might have you a little bit distracted or a little bit sad or a little bit whatever else. Tell me what kind of matches with that experience. And so by using this question of and what else, it lets you kind of dig in deeper with them to identify what's really going on. And then you can figure out, okay, is this a true mental health issue that's going to need some advanced care? Or do you just need support right now? And you just need to know that someone is there and someone is listening and someone cares. That's great stuff. Um, one of the yeah. biggest, one of the biggest things that I've, um, appreciated and didn't appreciate at the time, but I do now. Um, it's, it's sad how, how, as we get older, we appreciate more things. I wish we could appreciate them when we're a lot younger. Um, I, I've coached soccer for a number of years and have coached at the youth level for forever. And it always warms my heart when I see a player that I coached, um, you know, I coached my daughter's team for a number of years and I see, um, one of the girls that used to be on the team and, you know, now they're getting ready to graduate high school. They're get, going off to college and they'll see me somewhere and they'll come up and give me a big hug and they'll go, Hey coach, they still refer to me as that, which is, which warms uh-huh. my heart because it makes me feel like I've made a difference in their life. And I was a positive um, experience or, or patch of road in their life which is great. Absolutely. And as coaches, we, we have the, we have the opportunity that we can be very transactional in, in our work with our athletes that we can just say, okay, show up, do your work. Don't talk about anything else, get done and leave. That is an option. Society has said that's a totally permissible way to go about work, but there's something special that happens when we say, I don't just want to be a transactional coach. I want to be a transformational coach. I want to be that different so that I get invited to your wedding way down the line because it, what our work together meant so much to you because it didn't just influence how you felt about yourself when you were on the pitch. It also influenced how you felt about yourself and what you did with yourself off the pitch in the classroom, at home with your parents in, um, you know, an event with your siblings out doing stuff with your friends, like, if I know as a coach that I have the ability to transform or to help you transform your experience in all of these areas, that's so much more rewarding. And it's so much more effective for working with the mental health challenges that we all experience. None of us will ever leave this world without having experienced some mental health issue at some point in our life. Some of them will be bigger than others, but we will all experience something. And so if we can start laying that pavement now, then they can ride that road later with a whole lot less bumps and detours and everything else because we were such an integral part of that. And it's not about even uh, uh, avoiding, um, because I know that there's some parents out there that that pad the road 
for their children so that they don't experience uh, the, the, the pitfalls. And, and I get that. I understand that. I, 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 you know, you don't want to see your, your child in pain, uh, and things along that lines, but they've got to experience that stuff or else they're not going to be able to, uh, cope with that as, as they get older. I mean, I, I'm always, I, I guess I hate to say it this way, but, um, anytime my kids have dealt with some sort of adversity and stuff, I get a little smile to an extent because, even though I'm I'm feeling bad about the fact that they have to go through this, I'm 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 hopeful in how they're going to solve it and how they're going to deal with it and how and then when they come out on the other side of it and they're so much better, they're so much stronger for it. I mean, it just warms my heart completely. Oh, a hundred percent. And and I think that that's as parents, if what we're trying to do is set up an environment where our kids, kids never experience adversity and they never experience pain and they never have to feel heartbreak, rather than thinking, oh, I'm doing this great service for my kids because I'm protecting them from all of these really tough things, we need to totally flip that on its head and say, wow, I am robbing them from the opportunity to learn how to move through this. And I'm currently going through this in my house with my seven-year-old. He's, he loves sports. And he wants to be engaged and he wants to play and he wants to be an important part of his team. And he's working really, really hard. He's also a little bit smaller and a little bit slower and not quite as skilled. And so he's not getting quite as many opportunities to play in the positions that he wants to play in or touch the ball as much as he wants to touch it. And, you know, he comes home and he's really sad and he's like, man, you know, I was, I was out there and, and, for that whole period of time, you know, I only touched the ball once. I only touched the ball twice or I never got a chance. And, you know, he's just heartbroken about it because he wants something else. And my initial reaction is, oh, I want to call up the coach and be like, hey, they're seven years old. You need to make sure that everybody gets a chance to play everywhere and they all have the opportunity to learn and build their skills because how is he going to get better if he never has the opportunity to try and la, 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 and I want to go at it. But what I've recognized is that that's not my job as a parent. What my job really is, is to sit with him in that emotion and let him feel it and express it and let it be whatever it needs to be. And then let him figure out, okay, what do I do now? How do I make a difference with what it is that I'm given? What are the things that I can do to get what it is that I'm looking for? And I'll tell you that I was listening to a really interesting podcast a little while back. And the person who was talking said, You know, what we want to do with parents is when our kids are in the dark because they're in the middle of all that icky and unpleasant stuff, we want to walk into the room and we want to turn on the light. But that is taking away control and autonomy and choice and skill building from our kids. What our job really needs to be is to walk in and sit with them in the dark and wait for them to be ready to turn on the light. And when they are, we'll still there with them, but we haven't done it for them. And as hard as that is, and I get how hard that is, it really is what is best for our kids from the time they are born through the time that we are separated. Uh, Yeah, I mean, so important. So, so important. Now, in this podcast, I don't want to seem like I'm ganging up on coaches and parents and, and, you know, thinking that they're the bad people in the situation. But um, what advice would you give to youth soccer players on handling their own mental health when dealing with coaches and parents? Yes. 
Um, there are a couple of things that I think are really important for, for youth soccer players in general. One of those is, and it, it sounds counterintuitive and sometimes we need help with this, but you've got to know your worth. You've got to know that you're worth it to advocate for what it is that you need to be able to say something doesn't feel right here. And I can ask for the help that I need. I can, I can put myself out there. And even if coach doesn't respond exactly how I want him to, or, dad overreacts and plugs me into six different appointments in the next two weeks or whatever it is, I can handle that because I'm worth figuring this out. And so I think the first thing, like I said, is just kind of knowing your worth. The second thing is because you know your worth, being able to establish the boundaries that you need to stay where you need to stay and to, to experience what it is that you need to experience. And what I mean by that is, Let's say that we have a coach um, that is not really connecting well with with me as a youth soccer player, and I can't really understand why it is that they talk the way that they talk and why they make the decisions that they make, and I kind of start feeling like they don't care about me. So then every time I make a mistake in training, then I get really upset, and I start thinking, oh, well, they're just they're calling me out and trying to correct me because they hate me. I think one of the things that they, that we can really do in that moment is create kind of this boundary that says, all right, here are the things that I will choose to let in and I will choose to um, kind of allow to be a part of my experience. And here's the stuff that I'm not going to let be a part of that. And so if a coach is, is a little too um, excitable or a little too intense and that's really scary for me, then I'm going to choose to, um, you know, maybe stand a little bit further away so it doesn't sound quite as loud. Or um, if if I really am having a difficult time dealing with it, maybe I'm going to have a conversation with that coach and say, look, when you get really intense and I love what it is that you're trying to do, it really um, kind of sets me off and I feel like I can't really focus. So that's not the way to motivate me. Here's how it is that you can motivate me. Here are the things that you can do that I will really respond to. So being able to set that boundary and say what it is that can come in and what can't come in, I think is really important for for youth to be able to start learning to do themselves. And that really is a learned skill. And we really do have to help them to get to that point and then to support them in that. And that can be really difficult. You know, as a parent, when when my kid comes to me and says, I'm really mad at you right now. I don't like how it is that you said that or um, you know, when you were telling me what it is that you saw while I was playing, that really bothered me because I'm the one that's out there. You know, I have to take that and I have to go, okay, you're right. What do you want me to do with that? Well, I just, I need to go to my room for a little bit and I just need you to leave me alone. And that breaks my heart to hear that because I know that I have had some impact on this unpleasant emotion that they are currently experiencing. And I want to reinforce that they have just set a boundary with me. And it's important for me to support that boundary, even though I don't like it. Great stuff. Um, with it uh, being Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, what are some obvious warning signs that us coaches and parents can look for in our kids that may be dealing with yeah. a mental health issue? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, one of the biggest signs that I tell people to be on the lookout for is, is there kind of a big change in behavior um, that you haven't noticed before? Now, the reality is that by the time we see changes in behavior, there's been stuff going on for a while, especially with athletes. Sports such an adaptive experience for them, and they can move through 
so many of their emotions just because they're physically moving. That's one of the ways that we kind of move through that process. So by the time we really notice that their behavior is changing, it means that there's probably been some stuff under there for a long time that they've kind of been struggling with. Um, having said that, sometimes that's the first warning sign that we get. All of a sudden, they're refusing to eat, or all of a sudden, they're kind of shutting themselves in their room. Um, maybe they're a little bit more explosive in the way that they talk to their siblings, or they're not finishing their homework, even though they usually did. You know, kind of all of those things are big indicators. So as, a, as an outsider, being able to look in and go, okay, what are these drastic changes in how they're sleeping, in how they're interacting on a daily basis, and what parts of their personality are really kind of forefront right now. Um, you know, if they feel like, if it seems like they're suddenly overwhelmed and all you ask them to do is empty the dishwasher and they totally lost their mind about it. Okay, there's something else going on there. That's not really about the dishwasher. So being able to kind of notice those big shifts, I think is one of the, the biggest things that we can do um, as a teammate or a coach or a parent to recognize that, okay, there might be something worth looking into here. Now that we have uh, a sign, uh, what resources are available out there for parents and kids uh, to help with that mental health issue? Yeah, I will say that uh, Google doesn't do as well here as I would like it to do. So I'll give you a couple of my favorite resources. Um, For teens, in terms of either um, kind of reaching out for themselves or reaching out for maybe a teammate or a friend, a couple of really good resources are Reach Out. You can just Google Reach Out and find that one. There's also also teenshealth.org and teenmentalhealth.org. Those are really good in terms of kind of finding resources and understanding things. Parents can go in, and it, it has resources for parents on those that helps just figure out, like, okay, how do I work with my teen? How do I understand, you know, developmentally what's appropriate versus what might be a sign of some mental health issues? Um, if we're talking a little bit younger, um, we could we can use things like youth.gov. Um, and then the Positive Coaching Alliance actually has quite a few resources. I really like their um, website. And then one of my absolute favorites is the Youth Mental Health Project. And what I love about the Youth Mental Health Project is that when you when you go in and you look at their resources, they have gone through kind of everything that's out there and put everything in one place to say, okay, if you're looking at dealing with a crisis, someone is, is expressing suicidal ideation or they're cutting or they're doing some of these things, here are the different places that you can go to get help, whether it's for you or whether it's for someone else. Um, they have stuff on different specific issues, whether that's gender identity or sexual identity or um, racial identity or different things like that that might be impacting mental health. They have specific resources for COVID because we're still dealing with it. Um, The Youth Mental Health Project, I think, is just a great resource to go in and use what they have and then get links to other very good, high-quality resources. And then from a broader perspective, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, as well as the National Institute of Mental Health, are great places for um, very accurate, good information. Sometimes it feels a little academic. Sometimes it feels a little bit less accessible. Um, but it's still very, very good information, and it can give you a great start if you're not quite sure where else to go. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good resources out there. Doctor, thank you yeah, so much for yeah. uh, taking time out of your schedule to talk to us a little bit about uh, mental health with our 
youth soccer players. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. Dr. Ashley Coker-Cranny, psychotherapist at Whole Brain Solutions. We appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, it is my pleasure. Athletes are human. Let's treat them with a full human experience. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember, make sure you like, subscribe, and share our program here on the WVSA Digital Network. Thank you for listening to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast. You can catch a brand new episode every Thursday morning here on the WVSA Digital Network. Or find us on our social media platforms at WVSoccer. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.